You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about marketing, the content conundrum, and how to most effectively craft a content strategy that will last and positively impact revenue. To help us, we have with us Eric Newton, VP of Marketing at Milestone and author of Hack the Corporate Fast Track, Accelerating Promotions Inside of Corporate America. Eric, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here with you, Chad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we always like to ask kind of an off-the-wall question at the beginning, just so the audience gets a chance to know you a little bit better. And I'm always curious to learn what our guests are passionate about that those who only know them through work might be surprised to learn. So the, only the people people who know me through work would be uh, something that only well, people... Any, I mean, I guess anybody's surprised to learn. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the... I, I, we'll talk a lot about business, but I think one of the interesting things I'm, I'm tracking right now is uh, is bees, which are in a steep decline, and they're so integral to the food supply. So I reached out to the Beekeepers Guild in my area to learn about keeping bees, and it turns out you have to have uh, approval from your neighbors to get a permit in my area. So instead, I'll become a bee angel investor, and I'll replenish their beehives with two to three pounds of bees and a queen called a nucleus to help rebuild the bees and the work they do in my area. Wow, that's all right. That's amazing. That's probably one of the best ones I've heard so far. How did you, how, what sparked that? How did you get into that? Well, you know, I've been hearing about the decline of bees because of uh, pesticides, global warming, and, you know, their habitats being affected by the things we do as humans. And uh, I, I wanted to help them. So I wanted to kind of increase bee population to help, to help stop their decline. So it's one of my non-marketing hobbies that I'm going to be getting into. Uh, okay, excellent. So all right, let's talk about content. Now, there's a lot out there, <laughs> but I'm curious before we dive that deep, content's typically part of marketing. And I'm curious where the passion for marketing came from, right? You're a prolific speaker and writer, got obviously perspectives on numerous topics. Just curious how you found your way into marketing and what drew you there. Yeah, as a college student, I was uh, kind of trained in classical liberal arts and poetry and uh, interpretation and critical thought. And um, I had an aptitude for writing, so I looked for fields that would take advantage of writing, which took me into the advertising fields being a copywriter. And from there, marketing was really fulfilling because it's both creative, analytical, and strategic. So it's all three of those things. And it exercises all the parts of the brain. And I understand the things I'm working on most fully when I write about them. So that's when I really get my, my own thoughts really clear when I'm educating and communicating and thought leading for, for the community. Do you find the same thing as a podcaster, Chad? That I your medium makes you, gets you deep on it? Yeah, it's funny. That was one of the reasons why I started the podcast. My background is very similar. My undergrad was English with a writing emphasis. And so I process data by writing it as well. Hence why I send questions <laughs> to our guests in advance, because that's when I start to really process what we're going to talk about. But it is one of those, it's one of those depth of engagement things. It keeps me focused and just, you know, keeps me away from the notifications on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever, whatever the yeah. addiction of the day is. I'm excited at what a big role writing has to play in the internet economy. You know, 20, 30 years ago, there was like technical writing and teaching, you know, when I graduated, yeah. 
there weren't that many hot fields to go into, but now it's so integral, you know, your social presence, your brand presence, and the kind of content, and we're going to talk about the content conundrum today, but solving the content conundrum by creating amazing content is incredibly important, particularly in B2B marketing. Oh, absolutely. And writing is one of the hallmarks of that. But I'm curious when you define content, because you've got everything from, you know, videos, the augmented reality and so on and so forth, just to give the audience kind of a macro perspective, how do you define, you know, what is marketing content? Yeah, let me take a really broad, let me give you a really broad answer in that marketing is creating and content is exchanging some value in the content for the attention we're getting. So whatever medium it is, we're creating something that's entertaining or informative or educational that has you know, a little bit of branding mentioned in it or some thought leadership and people go, oh, I, I like getting information from that source. So it's really, it's a currency we're exchanging to other people for their time and attention, like an advertisement, but it doesn't have a media cost. It has a content viability cost. It has a content quality cost. Well, and I would, some could probably argue that it actually is, the cost is higher because time and attention is one thing we can't get back, right? Everybody has, it's a, it's a dwindling asset. People don't have time. So to be able to get them to give you that time to engage in it, it has to be of the highest quality, I would assume. And so when you think about the different types of content that are out there, what ones are you seeing resonate the most or be more compelling? You know, I think of, video, right? There's a, I've seen a huge increase in video lately. Everybody's got a camera or we're all sitting behind them working from home. But is, is that compelling or is that becoming a little bit more commoditized? Is there a, a type of content that you think is more compelling and effective than another? Yeah. Before we jump into the asset classes, let's use a little bit of a framework that your audience might or might not be familiar with called Tofu, mofu, and bofu. Have you heard that before, Chad? <laughs> I have, but the audience probably hasn't. Right. So tofu, top of funnel, mofu, middle of funnel, and bofu, bottom of funnel. So you've got these three areas and within each of these three, those mediums that you're talking about play a more prominent role in one or the other. So at the top of the funnel, you might be doing some research or a blog post or you know some thought leadership or a how-to video it might be something where people find you without knowing your brand directly. And after you engage them in that top of the funnel content, you get middle of the funnel content, which is going to be more like, what's the problem? What's the solution that that's keeping you up at night? Like, what can I help with is where you try to get to in the middle and you start to move your product towards their problem. And then bottom of funnel is going to be evaluative type content that they're going to be farther into the customer journey. And that content might be an RFP template or it might be an RRI calculator. And so you're getting in somewhat into interactive content and video video can play a role in each of these things, in each of these areas, but we need to think about how they're gonna find us. And most of my career has been spent in search and local, which are the two biggest channels by like almost, you know, uh, order of magnitude over, over some of the other channels that get a lot of attention like social. So, you know, we encourage at Milestone, we encourage our customers to put a lot of focus on on content that becomes viable by being on the first or second page of Google. That's where the viable space is. And if you're below that ranking, you're missing out on the traffic that goes, you know, 50, 60 percent of the traffic's coming via Google. And if you're not in that optimal space of the first, you know, where you can get uh, traffic, then the content is what we say. It's not in the viable zone. 
And so is there, I mean, aside from SEO, are there other, other ways to ensure that the content is compelling enough that it raises it uh, in the Google rankings? Yeah, absolutely. So to be good content, you need to understand the question. And almost every search query is a question. So every listing result is an answer. And in order to be one of the top couple answers, you need to be helpful. You need to be original. You need to have published that original content. You know, Google recognizes when it hit the internet. You need to solve problems and answer questions. And in B2C, I would say you also have to be uh, entertaining and evocative. People want something that gives them kind of an emotional lift or a buzz from, you know, either that maybe it's funny, maybe it's, it's compelling, maybe it's, you know, it's moving in some way. It's a little less important in B2B, but being helpful, making that content helpful, and that is the content itself. But you have to get the digital experience right. It has, your page has to be really fast. You overall have to be an expert in your field. You have to have authority and other people have to be linking to you. This is the traditional Google model, the Google algorithm of page rank of people voting to you and giving you that, those referral links that gives Google the confidence that, that the community supports you and your positions and your POVs and your content. And are there different types of content medium that work better through different channels. So if I'm putting together a content strategy and I have to think about, you know, social versus a website versus forums, or I mean, even clubhouse that is, you know, one of those places where people get together and chat, are there different ways I need to be thinking about the content in order to make it as effective as possible to, to positively impact not only my Google rankings, but the impact I'm having it, you know, tofu, mofu and bofu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, short form video, you know, 10, 15 second video gets a lot of attention. And as a B2B marketer, you can look at some of the things that do really well and, and use a version of that in LinkedIn. What, you know, on LinkedIn, you see a lot of static memes, right? People do an image, right? They upload an image that fits the spec that, that LinkedIn gives us. But it's kind of equally easy to do a carousel where you upload a deck. You could just take a PowerPoint and upload that PowerPoint and it'll become a carousel. And it'd be good if you rework the size and shape and color and, and pop a little bit on it. But putting a little bit of extra effort into the rich media gets you that more attention. One of the things I've seen doing really well in B2B and in on LinkedIn are the polls. Like if when we do a poll, we get maybe seven or eight X the engagement because people like the interactivity and the polls, it's, it's text-based, but it's interactive text, right? You don't, it's not very visual. Short videos, animated GIFs. I think making a variety, thinking about your content as a core and then making multiple asset types and deploying those multiple asset types is gonna give you your best opportunity to get exposure both in traditional search, in local and in social, and you're more likely to get referral links, which is it's all a great source of traffic and, and that support for your, your SEO also. Right. And okay. And so when we think about, you know, you mentioned kind of going viral earlier, everybody seems to talk, to talk about that. Have you seen any instance where something business oriented B2B has gone, you know, not global viral, but viral, maybe from a business sense. I know those are two different, totally different yeah. thresholds, but I, you know, it's a couple years back, but uh, dollar shave club was a huge hit on the B2C side. <laughs> right. um, on the B2B side, it's less common, but some of the really big companies, you know, Salesforce and what they're doing around Dreamforce, you know, often gets a lot of pickup just because the community is so big. But it's not truly viral. It's just a, it's a different, it's a megaphone that they have to a really large audience that's already installed. 
But let's, let's think about and talk about virality in simple terms. What it means is that to, to be truly viral, and this is even more relevant in the COVID era, is that each person shares it with more than one other person, and that allows it to spread. So if it's like 1.2, there's 20% more people each iteration that somebody reads it and they sh- you know somebody shares it, and on the average, it's getting shared out. Now, if it's below one, if people are sharing it with less than one person, it'll kind of die out. And then you're, you're back to the content conundrum where you've created something that's pretty good, but it really doesn't have any legs of its own to carry itself. That's in, in technical and biological terms, that's called the r naught. When the r naught is above or below one, you get spread or you get this retraction into, into kind of going to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Now we got all these channels, we got all this different type of content. We've got, you know, Google and SEO and all of this stuff. How in the world are businesses supposed to handle attribution to content? Because some of these pieces can take some serious time and investment to create and or, you know, research or, I mean, even well-written stuff takes time. Um, So there's always a, you know, there's always a, I want to know how this is impacting, you know, our revenue or whatever our objectives are. How do you handle or suggest companies handle attribution for content? Yeah, attribution is a long-standing challenge. You know, I've been something I've been looking at for maybe 13, 14 years, and I've I've made some progress in it when you have a large enough data set. But let's let's say some easy things for the audience to take away. First of all, track the channels for the sort. Make sure that the channels are set up well, like separate local with a UTM parameter in Google My Business, you can separate local from Google Organic and try to get as much definition at the channel level. Then you wanna be tracking last click, the first click, when people arrive at your website, what content were they clicking on, you know, for anywhere from an ad to a POV to a white paper, and store that. And then also store the last click so that you've got both the first and the last to see like if they're, you know, somewhere tofu, somewhere mofu as they're moving along their journey. And then if you can get there, and this is a little bit of a larger step for for all of us in the marketing world and in the business world, is develop a lead scoring system. How much content have they consumed? How many things have they downloaded? What order did they download them in? And assign a little bit of weight to each of these pieces and understanding the readiness of that buyer to go to the next step with you. That's a lead scoring system. And most of the, the CRMs and the email systems will allow you to do some lead scoring where you can assign values to different pieces of content. Now that's that's the sort of the scientific and technical answer. The old school way to figure this out is to ask your colleagues and customers how useful has this piece I, I you know I delivered a piece to you we put it up on the website we did it out in social about a month ago have you been using it what's the reaction to it and just do good old shoe leather kind of uh, investigation using the human algorithm and say oh yeah it's totally landing people are really responding to that one you'll see this effect in b2b a lot in the decks as a marketer i produce a lot of powerpoint content for people to use and then when i attend their sales calls or customer calls I can see which slides are still around after a month or two, <laughs> which ones are, which ones have legs. It's again, it's content viability and which ones have slipped into the non-viable zone and you know, they're, they're not getting used anymore. And does it land with customers? Is it, is it sticky? What do people comment on after you do that presentation that has, you know, three or four or five, six lines of content in it? 
what are they remarking on? And like, oh, it's that. They say, yeah, it's, and a lot of, one of the reasons I'm talking about the content conundrum is because of the things I've developed to encapsulate what a marketing company like Milestone does to e increase visibility is the content conundrum. And, you know, I like, you know, kind of worked on, on expressing it in, in a fun and interesting way. And the content conundrum lands because the statistics, the data behind it is that 90 plus percent of content over after a couple of weeks after its launch has no audience because Google, you know, 90% of the content doesn't rank on the first two pages of Google and Google and Google local and Google regular search are contributing the vast majority of the traffic to 50, 60, 67% to most websites. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So do the, do the mathematical thing, do as much good tracking as you can with, with UTMs or however you're going to, you know, with however you're going to do that as a, as your first party tracking system, then just talk to people and really understand as an author empathetically, am I making stuff for you? That's helping you get your job done. Is it convincing customers? Is it convincing prospects? All right. And so when we look into the future, we look, you know, this constant evolution that we seem to be calling the new normal. What do you see as the future of effective content or the next big medium or the next big change or pivot that will that will impact the way marketers create and, and put out content? Yeah, well, let me let me give the let me be consistent in my answer that that what was good last year is going to be good next year. And that's that that you're solving a problem, that you're helpful, original you're solving problems and answering questions. So it's still, that's not going to change. But I think to the spirit of your question, you could run some experiments in the emerging channels. Like as, as long as SMS has been around, it's not that popular to SMS people like uh, of, you know, of the channels that my marketing colleagues are using, testing an SMS campaign, especially for something like reminders to attend the appointment you accepted from my SDRs, from my business development team. Like that's a good thing to do. In some uh, non-US markets using WhatsApp, if you've got WhatsApp connection, sort of like having somebody's private, uh, having their SMS or their, their mobile phone number, you can do a WhatsApp campaign. You can communicate via that like you would in, you know, in email. And I mentioned it before, but using the rich content that's possible in LinkedIn posts on the B2B side, carousels, videos, and polls, you know, it's a lot more work to create than just talking about something. It's like, you know, just like a text-based post with a simple image is a little bit more like a tweet. And LinkedIn does give you those rich, uh, the rich media opportunities, but they're, you know, it's like developing another deck, right? You end up with another kind of constituency to support in your company then. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, let's talk about Milestone for a second. Um, just tell the audience what you all do there and, and actually how you found yourself there. Yeah. So we solve the content conundrum, and that means we help customers increase visibility, especially in the two biggest channels, search and local. And the way we do that is helping them research and identify and create great content. And then we use some of the advanced technical techniques like adding schemas and making the site core vitals compliant and making the pages faster and doing all those things that create a great experience so that when Google sends customers or referring their customers to you, they see those customers have a great experience and they give you more visibility. And what we see is if you're doing kind of average at these things before you start doing business with somebody like Milestone, we see a 20, 30, 40% jump in impressions and traffic that comes from getting a couple of these technical things tuned up. 
And um, I don't know if your audience knows much about schemas, but it's, a, it's an additional set of metadata that you can put on the page, but it's visible to the search crawler, but it's not visible to all the humans. So for example, hotel rooms or apartments can add a lot of information that supports getting an accurate answer to a, say a long tail query by using these entities. And these, these entities are defined as this information and that's how Google builds the knowledge graph. Okay. So that's what we do at Milestone is we connect you with more prospects and make, help you make more customers out of them. And to your second question, how did I find myself here? You know, it kind of goes back to research and schemas. Um, in my prior company, we were asking each other, hey, should what's our point of view on schemas? And I said, I don't see any evidence that it's working. This is about three or four years ago. And they said, that can't be our answer because we're recommending it. I'm like, yeah, but I don't see any evidence. So I don't really want to write definitively that this is, this is a technique everybody should be using. And um, I looked around and we were trying to prove it. And, and, and then I saw Milestone present that they had all these case studies. They had six, seven, eight case studies across industries that said 20, 30, 40, 80% lift using the technique. And I thought, okay, these guys are experts in their field. And I'm, I started kind of borrowing their data to form my POVs and we got to know each other better. And then, you know, they recruited me over and I'm a VP head of marketing there for the last year and a half, just be joined just before COVID. So it's <laughs> given me a lot of time to create content. Yeah, right. a lot of change. Yeah. A lot of change. All right. So let's change direction a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a VP of marketing, that makes you a revenue executive, which makes you a prospect. There's a lot of people out there. And so I'm always curious to know uh, from our guests, when, when someone doesn't have a trusted referral into you and they want to gain the right to time on your calendar, what works for them to capture your attention and, and earn that slot on your calendar? You know, Chad, this one is so easy. After I say it, everybody will say, oh, yeah, that's really obvious. Read my stuff. Read my articles. <laughs> read my papers. I've written almost everything on the website at Milestone. I'm either the editor or the writer or the researcher for it. Pick a piece that, that you like, that, that, that you respect, and use that to let me know that you're kind of serious and you did a little bit of homework. Put that towards the front of your, you know, your subject line or your message or, you know, I do pick up, I'll pick up the Zoom calls occasionally and the, the, the mobile phone calls. As long as I'm not in a meeting, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give this, you know, I'll give this salesperson a chance. That's the first thing is like, do you know anything about me or my business? Are you just calling because your boss told you to talk about your business? And it's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bummer, right? It's like somebody just launches into their pitch. I'm like, sorry, what company? Because I'm, I'm concentrating probably on producing content when you're calling me. Right. All right. So if you just mention my stuff and in my whole career, fewer than 5% of people, fewer probably than 2% of people have ever mentioned a piece that has my byline on it. And you know, if you're an English major, you know we care about that stuff. That's our our, yep. our art. So that puts you in the top five percent or better. Now, the second thing to do, and this is this is really difficult because the way corporations train young people is to crank the phone and do the pitch. But what you actually want to do is crank the phone and engage me with a good question. Yep. Ask me a question the way you're asking me questions, Chad. Get me talking. And then I get, I'll get less defensive and resistant to, you know, and I'll, 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 I'll tend to like you better because you're listening to me. It's right. the inverse of what sales 
appears to be, which is that you're supposed to talk at me. <laughs> which nobody likes. Not doesn't even matter really. the sales no, situation. Really not, nobody's into that. <laughs> yeah, I was a, a guy from Oracle who spoke at a conference said, "Don't engage your customers by giving them a selfie of yourself and your products." Right. That's that's not a good opener. Right. I got one more piece of advice for the audience, Chad. Don't say, "Does that make sense?" It's a sort of a fake tie down or a fake leading question. You just want me to go, oh, "Okay." What you want to do is ask me a real question, not ask me this kind of a fake half question. Because if I don't understand, I don't really want to admit it. If I'm kind of half paying attention because right. you're, you know you disturbed me, I don't want to. I don't want to make myself look dumb. So I often say to people, "No, that doesn't make sense." And then they just keep going with their pitch. It really makes me think, like, "Wow, does it matter if I'm on this call or not?" <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing or professional services people, one piece of advice you believe if they listen to it, help them achieve or exceed their targets, what would it be and why? Yeah, this is something that took me a long time to figure out what role it could play in my professional success. And it's empathy. Empathy is pretty hard to explain. If you ask people to define it, you get something that sounds more like sympathy. But really, <laughs> it's like understanding the other person and figure out what they need and align what you're doing to what they need. That makes them feel cared about. That improves engagement. But it's really difficult. Like the whole corporate world, and when you're young and you know you're 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 just out of school and you've got so many great ideas that you want to tell people about. No, you gotta you gotta understand what the other person's problem is. Like, what what could you help with? And then you can't just do your standard pitch all the time. You gotta make your pitch fit to that thing. And then they feel like you're you're an advisor. You're a, you're more like a friend, more like a colleague. Yeah, I could, I could not agree more. That's an excellent excellent point. So, Eric, if a listener's interested in finding the book uh, "Hack the Corporate Fast Track," where do you want us to send them? Well, Amazon's a great place to go. Look for Hack the Corporate Fast Track there on, 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 under Eric Newton. And uh, if you read it and you like it, please uh, drop me a review. Awesome. And if they want to get in touch with you to talk more about what Milestone's doing or the con content conundrum, where would you prefer we send them? Come straight to my email, eric.n at milestoneinternet.com. And uh, love to hear from you. Let me know that Chad sent you. Yeah, please definitely let them know what we sent you. All right, Eric, thank you so much for taking time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Chad. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. You know the drill. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Leave us a review on iTunes. We at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.